Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. All right, what's going on, listeners? We just wanted to let you guys know that BuzzBeat and Blue Wire are proud to be partnered with Harry's Razors yet again. And if you want to take advantage of a great offer and save $10 on a razor set, be sure to visit harrys.com slash bluewire. I am Richie, and we'll be joined by co-host Spencer and Brian on this mailbag episode. We asked for questions on our Twitter account, and we're going to try to get to as many of them as we can. Uh, not necessarily rapid fire by any means, but we don't plan on going too in-depth with these questions. And just a reminder, we are the go-to Charlotte Hornets podcast for deep analysis and a proud member of the Blue Wire Network. Be sure that you are subscribed on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or whatever app you prefer to listen to us on. Spencer, it seems like you've been off the map for a bit, haven't talked to you in a while. So where exactly have you been? You're, you haven't been storming Area 51, I assume. <laughs> No, no. I was uh, I was in Salt Lake last week, so I thought about driving down there and, and getting in on the madness. But uh, but no, I uh, I was in Salt Lake last week. I have a good buddy who lives out there. Um, we always meet somewhere every year, but I'd never actually gone out to Salt Lake, Salt Lake to meet him. What an awesome place! Uh, I mean, it's it's just so nice, man. There's still snow on the mountains. Got to play golf up there for four days, uh, like right across from Park City. It was. I literally almost cried when I had to uh, get on the plane to come back. That that I could live there in a heartbeat. So, uh, and then did a little family vacation to the beach uh, as well. So, yeah, man, it's it's nice. You know, try to take advantage of a little bit of summer. Um, admittedly, did not see a lot of summer leagues. Still kind of catching up, but uh, I don't feel too guilty about it. No, you shouldn't. And I'm about to take a little mini vacation to the beach and and going to Atlanta for a Braves game. So, uh, yeah, it's it's definitely needed. Beachy, how's everything going with you? Things are good. Uh, Spencer, I hope you were hanging out with Donovan Mitchell. I hope that was your uh, your friend out in Salt Lake City. Yeah, we, you were, we, you were catching up with. yeah we kicked it a few nights. Yeah, it was, cool. It was cool. Okay, yeah. cool. Good to hear. Good to hear you and uh, Spider Mitchell hanging out out there. No, th- things are good. And I uh, was able to watch most of, of the Hornets in Summer League and then caught some ACC guys, some good Nikhil Alexander-Walker, some bad Nasir Little, and some in-between Kobe White. And uh, saw our guy Brandon Clark doing some good stuff for the Memphis Grizzlies too. But I desperately need some uh, some summer vacation, and luckily I've got at the end of July and the start of August, I got a couple trips planned. And yeah, man, Spencer, that part of the country, like I've I've never been to Salt Lake City. I really want to go, but I've spent a good bit of time in Denver in that like mountain time zone area. I mean, there's just it uh. You go out there and you feel like you're on a different planet, you know what I mean, in terms of geography and, and just what you're staring at. It. It's pretty neat. So things are good, man. How about you, Richie? Yeah, I'm doing well, doing well. Things are, um, you know, it's the summer, so as a teacher, uh, just relaxing a little bit. And like I just said, we're about to go to the beach and, and take the little one for the first time. And we're getting everything kind of packed up and all the necessary materials for him. Now, now packing for the beach just is a little bit more with him. His stuff actually takes up more stuff in the car <laughs> than ours does. Cause yeah. like 
he's got to get like a little tent on the beach to kind of shade him. And it's just, just all these little things that we had to buy. And then I'm actually probably more worried about the trip down there than actually the beach. Hopefully he can, uh, you know, withstand the three and a half, four hour drive to, to the beach. So, yep, that's, that's what's uh, new in my life. Let's go ahead and get into this episode. Uh, there's not really much going on with the NBA right now in terms of, you know, the summer league being over free agency is dying down. Um, and nothing really major comes about until I would say middle, late September. So I'm not sure how frequent our episodes are going to be from here until about September, but we decided to put out a uh, little mailbag episode, fielded some questions from you guys. I will say that we are going to be getting to most of them, not all of them, uh, and, and some of them overlapped anyway. So let's first start off with this one uh, from Twitter at Fitch for Hornets. Not necessarily a question, but a theory, and he wants us to discuss this theory. I know that Spencer's big on uh, conspiracy theory, so let, let's <laughs> let's read this one through. It says, Jordan and Kupchak always had a number in mind about paying Kemba. They dreaded the third-team All-NBA announcement because they knew it would make their intended offer look worse, so they immediately started to try and move up in the draft for White or Garland. Discuss. So, yeah, I guess I wouldn't put this past them as this being their thought process as the season went along. Um, I guess the really the only way that Kimba was going to make All-NBA was going to come in the form of that third-team All-NBA team. So he was borderline. I think at the beginning of the season, it was uh, more of a sure thing. But as the season progressed, his numbers took a little bit of a dip. And uh, there was potential there that he didn't make that All-NBA team. Uh, as we all know by now, Kimba... The regular max for him was five years, $190 million. And the supposed offer was around that $160 million mark. So even if you're taking the, I guess, the super max out of the question, to me, that, that's still way lower than I would have expected them to offer. Even if it was more than any other team could offer, to me, that still looks bad. So if, you, if that was your thought process and this is the theory that's going into it, I don't see that as being a sound way to approach things. I think that you would still have to get to that close to 190 number. And then he also says they, they tried to move up in the draft. I think we did hear some rumors about that. So I, I guess, you know, that does make sense. I think they were probably just either getting replacement for Kimba or maybe getting someone that's a little bit more recognizable, like a Cam Reddish or more upside. So I wouldn't put them past this. This actually is a theory that could have taken place. Any thoughts on this, guys? This, this is a pretty good one. I like this one. Yeah, so I definitely wouldn't put it past them. You know, them moving up the draft can certainly be read as, oh, crap. We're, we're definitely not going to be able to keep Kemba now. Let's move up in the draft and, and try to get a player that we can actually slap on the billboard. But this doesn't excuse the fact that there was no plan B. <laughs> right like if this was the theory it's like it almost makes it worse because now we have confirmation that 160 what is what we're going to offer we didn't trade him at the deadline and if he makes all nba third and is eligible for 220 so now 160 looks like even more embarrassing then it just is what it is you know so i, I do like this one though There's some, some good thought put into this theory well done fitch for horns yeah i'll just say in general and i've thought about this a fair amount after what what the hawks did the night of the draft this year, there's just, it, it would have been a problem in my, in my, in my estimate, if the Hornets had moved up at all to try to get, especially someone like Cam Reddish, who, while I think I'm, I like him more than 50% of, 
of the people that are thinking about the drafts or thinking about you know NBA basketball or whatever. Man, moving up in the draft, considering the way we value these picks, you know, it, it just it would it would have cost them you know something else down the line to move up and just it, it would have been a bad idea. So I'm glad that that didn't come to fruition, but it would not have surprised me. It would have basically been that type of maneuver would have made a lot of sense based off, you know, like working in working in the same sort of line that they have in the last couple of years of short-sighted and trying to trying to sell off future assets to to go all in now and just in the draft you just should not trade up in general that should really be a rule um i mean this is something that you see a smart team like the patriots taking advantage of every year in the nfl trade back and, and add assets and so the the inverse of that i think is would have been a a mistake for the hornets i'm glad they didn't they didn't go that route and we'll unfortunately we weren't able to see pj washington at summer league but yeah i just wanted to attack that i, I agree with everything richie and spencer said i just wanted to add that that last thought in about why i'm glad they didn't move up in the draft and I think, especially in that position that Charlotte was in, you know, considering the draft, considering it was top heavy, and it's not to say that the players that were drafted above uh, PJ Washington aren't better than him, but I think the drop off from like the third pick down well, in this draft, it, it's it's also just like these picks. They're not. We talked about some of this stuff before, but it's like these draft picks. They're never more valuable than you know when they're unused and in the future. Do you know what I mean? Like that's that. That that right. is when they are at. You need as you want to have as many of them in into the future as you possibly can. Um, yeah. and I know some teams have been pretty flip. I've moved some of these. You know, I've moved a lot of picks the last couple of weeks for in some of these blockbuster superstar deals that have like flipped the league upside down. But like even then, man. I mean, in terms of like asset management, you want as many of these things into the future as you possibly can. So selling one of them off so you can move up a couple spots in the draft is a is a really bad idea. And I like DeAndre Hunter, and I, I like a lot of the stuff the Hawks have done the last couple of years. But I think that that was pretty risky for what they decided to do at the night of the draft. And I'm glad the Hornets did not um, partake in a similar uh, draft night strategy. Well, and to your point, BG, you know, the Hornets are going to have an opportunity. We're going to know uh, how they value future draft picks here soon because they're going to yeah. have an opportunity to operate um, as, as as a rental, a cap space rental ground or, or dumping ground, if you will, and, and maybe one of the best suitors in the whole league for bad contracts uh, during the mm-hmm. next two seasons. Well, after this one, one biz and a few other ones, uh, a few mm-hmm. contracts fall off. So we'll, we'll find out real quickly how yep. much they value first round picks. All right, next question comes from at Derek Lofton 73. Where does the Hornets front office <laughs> rank among the 30 NBA teams? I, I, we're not going to sit here and rank them all, but I don't think it can be denied that MJ and the Hornets are definitely in the bottom five among front offices. I think that probably is going to be hard to argue. I would definitely put them in the bottom five. I can't tell you where exactly among the 30 teams they rank. I think they kind of fall in that category with the Wizards and the Suns and teams like the Knicks. I think the biggest issue with the Hornets has always been, or at least recently, and I I think this question probably pertains to recent history, the drafting has always been Mm -hmm. bad. I, I think that there's not been many draft picks that you can point to and say, hey, that was a really, really good pick. And I just think they lack an overall plan uh, moving forward. They they lack foresight. They lack that that future planning, uh, and that's kind of always been their downfall. So yeah, definitely bottom three, four, five. That's where I would rank the Hornets. Yeah, I, I, I agree. I think Phoenix is probably 
the yeah. only worst front office in the league. You know, the Hornets aren't bad in ways that a lot of other front offices are bad. Like Phoenix is, is, is pretty active, has been pretty active in the last few years with trades. It's just none of them lead you, you know, take you down a roadmap that leads anywhere, right? It's just this, this randomness of, and then the trade they just made sitting out Josh Jackson. And I mean, that one was the one that you really just like, what in the world is going on? I mean, it was obviously a salary dump, but in the stupidest of forms, the Hornets, the last few years, especially last year has just been the lack of activity. It's just, it's just doing nothing, being so conservative that you're scared to make a move. I, I, you know, it's hard to put your finger on exactly why it has come to this but yeah this the kimba mismanagement uh just draws a a huge 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 black line uh over this front office and you know every fan's gonna ask themselves well whose decision is it really we've been asking ourselves Mm -hmm. that for for years and years and it's it's hard to say for sure i have my guesses but uh but yeah it's just it's the lack of activity from charlotte that has gotten them to, to this latest stage watching Kimba walk. Yeah, I think it's got to be in the, I mean, it's at the, at best bottom 10 and, and probably more likely bottom five. And, and it's interesting because the, the current, you know, operations staff, the, at least the guy that's theoretically is the decision maker when it comes to basketball operations, Mitch Kupchak. I mean, he's been on the job for, you know, less than a year and a half. So, um, you know, if you want to follow along with where I'm trying to trace back to is that there's a, as we've discussed on this pod before, there's a central figure that's, that, that uh, has overseen both the Rich Cho and Mitch Kupchak eras uh, uh, making uh, executive-level basketball decisions for the Hornets. But, yeah, I mean, just, like, in terms of a couple things, like, the draft is just sort of always a mess. And, and I think they've done okay the last couple of years. But it's not only is it – have they you – know, is it them swinging and missing on the draft night deal in 2015 with the Boston Celtics and then Frank Kaminsky not working out? It's – they draft Malik Monk without having worked him out, which they did the same thing again with PJ Washington this year too, which is weird. Like I, it's just a strange thing to, to for a team to do with two lottery picks in three years. Um, and I mean, I like both those picks when when they happen, and I'm I'm still pretty bullish on on PJ Washington as a as a prospect. But not only that, but I think one of the things that's going to be tough for them is not only how they they botched the Kemba situation with you know, not clearly not being willing to offer him, you know, much above that 160 line, if anything above that 160 line and then failing to trade him at, at any of the deadlines prior to that, but would also be just the fact that they had like Kemba's contract was such a below market deal. You know I mean? He was playing on an all-star level the last, at least the last three seasons. And he was playing at that level probably four seasons ago too. And he was on such a cheap deal that should have been an opportunity to like build around him, but because of how they spent in 2016, it just wasn't, you know, it just wasn't up for grabs. And so maybe it's, it's harsh to retroactively grade them on hey, why couldn't you build a roster around this guy when, you know, three years ago you, you sort of hamstrung yourself, but like that should have been an opportunity to that when you had your draft picks and when you had Ken on such a good deal, that this should have been an opportunity to have found a way to to craft a roster around this guy and take take advantage of having, um, you know, being able to have a, a top thirty player on a, on a deal that's paying him, you know, I don't know, fifty percent give or take what what he could be making on a you know on the open market or whatever. So yeah, I think they've got to say they're they're close to the bottom, but obviously uh, the Phoenix Suns, I think they take the cake and uh, 
perhaps teams like the Knicks and the Kings who have uh, have done some good things as well over the you know recent years. I think they've uh, they've shown their they've shown some bad signs with asset management and some other stuff as well. But notice there's a common thread with those teams and the Hornets, which is uh, ownership tends to be a problem with all these franchises. Yep. One more thing, real quick. It's just you know between the Frank Kaminsky draft turning down four future first round picks and then you know not trading Kimba where. There were a few different deals that were reported. One was, you know, with Cleveland a few years back. I think you'll remember that Cleveland might have been willing to uh, to throw in that Brooklyn pick to Charlotte right. uh, for Kimba. So we have nothing but pretty hard evidence that Michael Jordan does not give a damn about first round draft picks, and and that makes me. Uh, extremely nervous uh, when you're about to have $40 million in cap space two years from now and you've got nothing on the roster except for expiring contracts and young guys. You should be looking to shop those expiring contracts. Well, we're going to talk about this more in a minute, so I'll shut up. (laughs) And I think the recency bias definitely plays a role into this, and I think a lot of Hornets fans probably think that we are the worst in the league with the way that we handled the Kimba situation. So let's get into our next question. This actually comes from our Slack conversation uh, from Ryan, or he's better known as Fifth Factor on Twitter. Great follow on Twitter. Yes. What is each of your preferred uses for the MLE? And he kind of gives us some <laughs> options. So either using the MLE to sign a remaining free agent, we can name our preference, God. or B, to keep it open to make moves, take salary, et cetera, during the season. Is this even possible or useful? Well, yeah, I mean, yes, saving the MLE for later in the season is something that is possible. Uh, I'm not sure if it'd be that useful or strategic on their end to do that. But by the same token, they don't have to use this MLE. So I guess that's what he's asking us. Do we use it for a remaining free agent? Do we just keep it for empty salary? Um, I think it does need to be noted that we could use this on Cody Martin, uh, use a portion of it to secure his bird rights, get that three-year deal. Um, I will say that I'm a little bit underwhelmed by the crop of players that are available but it's not like we can offer a lot anyway. So I, I guess my preference, uh, this is not really a strong preference. My preference would be to use a portion of the MLE to sign someone. Let's just say like a Jeremy Lin can shoot the ball a little bit, although his three point percentage went down a little bit this past season. Um, he's a little bit bigger so he can play off ball, get others involved. And he's, he's somewhat passable on the defensive end. So we're slim pickings here. So I'm, I'm assuming that there's not going to be someone out there that's going to change the game for the Hornets. So just by a quick glance at some of these free agents, I would say my preference is to use it and then just use it on someone like a, a Jeremy Lin. I, I would have preferred actually to maybe go a little bit earlier in free agency and try to use this on maybe someone like a Alfred Payton. But uh, at this point, the slim pickings are getting even slimmer. I mean, I probably would have preferred earlier in free agency the Hornets to like throw the full MLE four years um, at like a Delon Wright or something, and and, yeah. and then tried to flip yep. him. You know, just as a hey, we're going to acquire this guy. <clears throat> you know, throw him in. He fits. We need another ball handler, another creator. And if he keeps developing as a player under James Borrego, we'll we'll trade him in a year or or whatever at the deadline or next Mm -hmm. deadline. It doesn't matter. Uh, He's an asset now. So I would have liked to seen that, you know, at this point, I I would honestly just assume the Hornets not use it unless Richie, to your point, they want to do like what they did with Devontae Graham last year and sign a player like Cody Martin, not super psyched about him, but uh, to get his, to get his (laughs) bird rights, then, then fine. Go ahead and do that. You know, no harm, no foul there, but what they could do is just not use it 
keep that extra space from the luxury tax line open. So if they wanted to trade Bismack Biombo or Marvin Williams or Cody Zeller or whoever mm-hmm. and take back more salary uh, and, and then get assets on top of that, now they have more breathing room from the luxury tax line. So from here, that's probably how I would prefer them to operate. I agree with you as well. Uh, I, I like that. I like the little extra room that you can go into the season with there. And there's just there's no one worth using even really you know a significant chunk of the MLE on. I mean no. like – I think we we can all agree like they need a little bit more depth at point guard and center, but like I mean, come on, you're not going to use the you know uh, a, a significant chunk of the MLE on Trey Burke or like Christian Wood or Kenneth Fareed, right? Like these are like minimum players. I wish Spencer similarly that they had gone out in free agency earlier and tried to use like the full MLE on someone like Delon Wright's a good name, and so is Trey Jones. I mean those they, those guys were similar players in free agency this year, right? Like similar teams were interested in them. They were both restricted free agent point guards, good defenders. And Memphis basically got Jones for, you know, I think if it wasn't the full mid-level, it was like right at it or very close to it. And that's the route that I wish the Hornets had gone in and, and Minnesota ended up not even matching that. Um, and he, you know, he now plays for the Memphis Grizzlies, which is where DeLon Wright had been. So uh, that's what I wanted the Hornets to do. But then obviously the Rozier situation sort of complicated that. So yeah, this would, that I've, would prefer for them to go into the season. Uh, you know, I, I think it's good to use a chunk of it and get the bird rights for Cody Martin. Like, I think that's worth it. Um, that creates like another little asset. And I, if, if, if there were anyone that were worth signing really either to help the team in some capacity this year, or to turn into a, a trade chip that you could flip at the deadline, that'd be one thing. But um, man, it's just, it's sort of hard to figure out the, those guys. There's just nothing left. I mean, look how the Lakers just filled out their roster. You know what I mean? Like if there was anyone worth a damn, the Lakers would have just, you know, picked them up as they were putting this piecing this roster together around LeBron and, and, and AD. So yeah, I, I'd say I say be patient, kick the can. If there was any if there was anything worth spending it on, I, I'd suggest it. But I think right now you just you sort of punt on making that decision uh, in the offseason here. And just to, to note, uh, based on my calculations, the roster sits at twelve players yeah. right now. You add the two second round picks. That's fourteen. Uh, if that's the route that you want to take, uh, you know, I know Spencer. You mentioned not being impressed by Cody Martin. He did improve throughout summer league, but uh, yeah, those first couple of games were a little bit hard to watch. And same I, thing. With, I, go ahead. I guess the one thing could be is, is Ju- Justin Holiday is still available, right? Oh gosh, I don't know off the top of my head. Uh, yeah, I don't either. I he, think I think so. He'd be, the, he'd be so. the one guy that I wouldn't necessarily mind you throwing uh, some of that, the, some of the mid level at. You know, like use some of it on Cody Martin to get his bird rights. Use some on Justin Holiday and then try to trade that. Like he's a three and D wing. You know what I mean? Like try to trade that guy uh, before the the twenty twenty deadline in, in February. You might be able to find a team that's looking to add a shooter that can guard a couple positions or whatever. Like that. That's maybe one other possibility. All right, let's take a break, guys. We have an announcement to make. Blue Wire is teaming up with Harry's to make sure our listeners are shaving comfortably. Go to harrys.com slash bluewire to save $10 on a value trial set, which includes a five-blade razor with a lubricating strip, rich lathering shave gel, a travel blade cover. You get all of that just for $3 shipped right to your door. Enough with the cheap razors. It's totally worth trying Harry's. 
Harry's has fixed shaving by combining a simple, clean design with quality and durable blades at a fair price. Harry's founders were tired of paying for razors that were overpriced and overdesigned. Harry's bought a world-class blade factory in Germany that's been making quality blades for over 95 years. Join the 10 million who have tried Harry's and claim your trial offer by going to harrys.com slash bluewire. All of Harry's blades come with a 100% quality guarantee. If you don't love your shave, which I'm sure you will, let them know and they'll give you a full refund if that's the case. Again, make sure you go to harrys.com slash bluewire to redeem your razor for $3. Okay, next question. Uh, some of these questions we could probably go a little bit quicker over. Can or should Kulboka come over? Uh, yes, he can come over. We have his draft rights should he come over um this is where i kind of like struggle with I, th I think i think i would say yes he should come over uh but if he's a player that's really wanting playing time and he wants to make sure he's developing his game um i'm not sure he's going to see significant enough playing time to come over and be on the hornets roster uh depending on james borrego's thoughts on him he definitely showed some flashes as a shooter and a passer in summer league, but he still has a ways to go uh, into kind of developing a more significant role player off the bench. So what are your thoughts? Uh, do you guys have strong thoughts on Kulboka? Not, not particularly. I mean, I, I think if he's going to come over now might be the time if you're the Hornets. Mm -hmm. I mean, you, you need to get a look on this roster probably if, if you're ever going to get a look. And the Hornets obviously are, are still have a vested interest in him. They have his rights. They've brought him to summer league two years in a row. So uh, you know, I, I do think they're probably taking a close look. And it might be, I mean, there's two roster spots open mm -hmm. to the point somebody just made a minute ago, so it might be this year. I actually am kind of impressed with Kabolka's feel for the game. Um, he gives good effort defensively. He's generally in pretty good position. You know, he's a good athlete. He moves around the floor well. Lateral quickness isn't, isn't horrid. Um, he, he's got to work on his body over anything else. Mm -hmm. I mean, he's just so, he's so thin uh, for his size. But, look, he can shoot. He's not a great. He's not great putting it on the deck, but he's not awful, and he's he's got some feel passing the ball. I mean, he checks he checks quite a few boxes, but he doesn't do anything excellent. I mean, if he if you know if, if he can prove that he can be a forty percent outside shooter, I, you know, I think there might be an NBA player in there. But I mean, to answer the question, if you're going to bring him over, now's kind of the time to me. Yeah, I, I I I tend to agree. You know, they have this team's going to be bad. There's maybe some playing time available. There are, certainly are roster spots available. Uh -huh. um, and yeah, I thought he showed some stuff at summer league too. He had the one really nice pass in the uh, uh, it was the third or fourth game of so the, the Chicago, it was the Chicago yeah. game. Yeah, like that was that showed something. Uh, he won't turn 22 until January. You know, he's, he's young. He's still just 21. He's done some good things on the international level, either club or uh, national team youth youth levels and stuff like that as well. He shot 33% on threes in summer league, um, right about 19 minutes per game, 41% shooting from the field, four and a half rebounds per game. I was not blown away with, uh, I think defensively, as Spencer said, he's just not that strong. I think defensively he'll have, I think there's like a sort of a ways for him to go there. But I, I like his, I mean, like you, you, as a space four, you know, the, these are guys that the teams need. And hopefully that's something that PJ Washington is going to grow into as a, at a you know, obviously at a, a more immediate and advanced level. But 
you you want guys like this that can space out, catch and shoot, the low usage guys that can hit threes and, and move the ball offensively. And uh, yeah, why not give them a tryout on on this roster? I, for some reason, I I feel like they're not going to go that route. I think maybe we would have just heard more about it. Yeah, uh, that was the the path they were they were really considering. But yeah, why not? Uh, I'm I'm not I'm certainly not. I have no strong feelings. But um, yeah, I'd be like a little interested in in tracking him this season if they, if they did bring him over and made him you know at least a fringe part of the rotation and. Heck, if you want to, if, if player development is a big part of the the J, James Borrego era, which I guess it has to be now, whether they want to do or not, then yeah, get them, get them in house and, and get them on, uh, you know, every day on your, your training program, you know, lifting, skills, diet, all that stuff. Yeah. And worst comes to worst, I guess you can sign them to a, a two way contract. We still have one available spot there. Uh, next question comes from Patrick Connor Seven. Curious if you guys like what you've seen from Isaiah Hicks. Uh, I, th- I think he and Meeks, I think, showed some flashes uh, to get mm. a camp invite. I would, I would think, you know, specifically on Hicks, I th- the Hornets used him as a undersized center uh, with the Hornets team. I think he started most of the games that he played. I thought he did pretty well in the pick and roll situation and, and finished several lobs uh, with Devonte Graham. Again, not not strong feelings. I think that he can get a camp invite, but I don't know if I would say give him a roster spot or a two way contract at this point. I mean, Brian, do you have any thoughts on this? Or no, I mean, he's. I think he's an okay guy for a for a, for a two way spot, which I think is something that he he did uh, either this past season or the one before for the the Knicks. I think he's 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 made himself to being very close to like a a deep bench NBA big because he can re, he can offensive rebound and he can finish around the rim. He shot sixty nine percent. Um, in summer league and and yeah I mean like at UNC he was a pretty efficient player 61% true shooting over his four-year career at UNC lots of dunks um, but yeah no I don't I I think he is if you, if you really think this guy's a developmental player I think it's a I think it's a pretty serious reach like he, this guy is what he is now you know and uh, I just don't I don't I don't see him as being a, a guy that's really worth keeping around as a, as a developmental prospect. But yeah, I thought he played, I thought he played well at summer league. I thought Kennedy Meeks played pretty well at summer league too, actually um, on the offensive glass, passing out of the post and stuff. I, I wish Hicks had a little bit better feel and I wish his hands were maybe a little bit better too, but uh, he plays hard and he is athletic in the front court. So there is some utility with him. Yeah. I mean, you guys pretty much said it. The one thing I saw from Hicks that I was impressed with was his willingness to, to look to pass, to look to the weak side off the short roll. I, I noticed that a lot from him uh, during summer league. And, and he's not a good passer. Uh, he's still a bad passer, in fact. And, and Brian said, you know, he, he has bad hands. But his willingness to try to see the whole floor when he catches the, the ball at a pick and roll, uh, I think is impressive. And I think that he knows he has to improve there. He's, you know, in, in small ball lineups, he's, he's a great five defender versatile guy can stay in front of smaller guards um you know obviously athletic so for a coach that wants to play smaller more consistently probably than a lot of programs or or franchises in the nba i think hicks makes some sits right is Mm -hmm. is that is that small ball five so i no i don't think he's an nba player but i think on a short roster like charlotte you, you take flyers on guys like this so you never know all right next question from daniel tap 
Should Vince Carter wear purple and teal on his farewell tour? Carter can still shoot the ball, uh, but I don't know if he offers a whole lot more than just that. He actually shot 47% from the corners last season, which is crazy number. Uh, I guess I wouldn't be opposed to signing Carter to a, a one-year minimum kind of deal, mentor some players, mentor some wings on this roster. But I'm not exactly sure what Carter is wanting. Like, is he wanting a lot of playing time? Is he wanting to go to a team that's competing? Mm-hmm. I'm not exactly sure. So, yeah, I don't think it'd be a bad idea to sign this guy to a one-year minimum type of deal. But I guess it's it's ultimately what's you know what's Carter's ultimate uh, goal here. Don't do that to yourself, Vince. Yeah, <laughs> go somewhere else. That's true too. That's yeah. true too. Go win a title. Go win a title somewhere. I mean, find a team that you think yeah. can help win you a title and and go there. I mean, I, I'd love to have him here for all the reasons that Richie laid out. But if if I'm Vince, and I know he's gone, I mean, he's been in Sacramento and in Atlanta this last year, sort of doing the older, you know, elder statesman mentor route. And I think he had a lot of fun doing that, at least in Atlanta last season. But um. Nah, if I, if I were him, I, I'd be finding a, a team that I can, you know, find a 55-win team that can contend for a title and go do the same thing there, but just, have, you know, win more games doing it. All right, next question. I think this is the one that uh, Spencer's excited about. At Galloway underscore Brody on Twitter asked, the three contracts coming off the books this year are all overpays, but they are all expiring contracts. He's talking about MKG, Biz, and Marvin Williams. Uh, doesn't that, for at least this year, make them assets? Do contending teams look at them different, and would they want to get off slightly longer money for you know someone like an MKG or a Biz? I think you know Marvin might or should be included in this situation as well. Yeah. I think he, out of the three, probably offers a little bit more value. He's a little bit more of a known commodity. Biz, on the opposite end, I think that he's really has no trade value mkg kind of falls somewhere in the middle i think the fact that he's a little bit younger that you know he has some intrigue there but he's probably more team and style specific than marvin i think that you can plug marvin on a team uh, and he'll fit right in right away for a contending team so are these players assets I, i would say that marvin out of the three would be i'm not sure that you can actually throw biz out there i guess if you're getting longer contracts back i guess but i I still think personally i would rather hold on to biz and just let him fall off the books next year Mm -hmm. Uh, spencer what are your thoughts on this and these three contracts that are coming off the books Uh, yeah i mean i I agree with what you just said i mean biz is not an asset well biz is an asset in one way if there's a team that has a deal in mind at the trade deadline a a big deal Mm -hmm. then you you want a contract like biz because that's it's a it's an expiring contract that has significant like you you can move that contract and get most players that are slightly under a max back right Mm -hmm. so like that's it's just really good salary filler um but that's i mean who knows on that one marvin is definitely the most tradable um you know milwaukee really jumps off at me as a team that could use marvin i think they need a little bit more shooting at the power forward position they've got some question marks there after losing miritich and and brogdon who obviously wasn't a power forward but he's a guy who can defend multiple positions uh and, and shoot the ball from the outside and create a little bit I, I, Milwaukee worries me a little bit what they lost this summer and I don't know I, I just see Marvin being really could be good for them so so keep that one in mind MKG 
you know, a few teams like Denver, I think needs a little punch defensively on the wing. Uh, you know, I think he could help them golden state. They need shooting, but they also are going to need some defense. They're just so depleted with that second unit, you know, teams like that. I, I think MKG could find a role with, um, certainly if they're in playoff contention around the trade deadline. So now what you get back for them, I, you know, I don't, I don't think it's a first round pick. Um, mm. unless Marvin just comes out this season guns blazing from behind the arc and just does all the, the dirty work defensively that he has done uh, while wearing a Charlotte uniform. He, he's there. There's maybe a universe you get a late first round pick for him, uh, but it doesn't matter. I mean, the Hornets just, just need to add stuff to the chessboard if they can. Uh, if not, you let them roll off and, and you're looking at, you know, it's a pretty significant, probably max cap space next summer. Yeah. I mean, Marvin's absolutely a, t- a guy, a player that can help out a playoff team. I mean, I just don't think there's any doubt about it. He shot 56% effective shooting on half court catch and shoots last season. 63% effective shooting on pick and pops is one of the better numbers in the league on a, on a good number of attempts. He plays one of those space four positions. He can guard fours and some fives. Excellent locker room guy, communicator defensively, uh, versatile guy that could, again, he's going to, you put him on the court and he can be, he can help you on both ends of the floor, right? Cause he's, you got to guard him out there. He gives you space and he can set screens. And again, he can guard a couple of positions across the front line. And again, he's a good locker room presence too. I have no idea what the market is for him, but it, he does feel like the guy, a guy that should be on a playoff team, either through a trade or through a, you know, through a buyout. My sort of hope is because he does play at, the, at a position of need, like every team could use a guy like this, like a four and a half, right? That can hit 40% of his catch and shoot threes. I mean, it, this is a guy the Rockets could use. This is a guy the Lakers could use, et cetera, et cetera. Not necessarily through trades, but, you know, uh, as like a buyout guy. But I think there are some some teams that you could talk to as, a, as trade partners. I think Indiana makes some sense. I think Utah I think the Spurs, I think Portland, Spencer said Milwaukee. I think that's another one. But teams that are looking for front court shooting, I think Marvin is a guy. And I think about this too, you know, Nikolai Mirtich, he leaves, he goes back to, to play professionally in Spain. Like there are but so many of these six foot ten guys roaming on roaming planet Earth that can make forty percent of their threes. You know what I mean? And you just took one of them out of the NBA. Um, you know, Marvin's still hanging around, he's on an expiring contract. Part of me hopes that there's at least one way you can extract a second round pick out of out of one of these teams, but uh, perhaps that's uh, that's hopeful, that's wishful, I should say. And don't forget what, what uh, Milwaukee gave up to New Orleans for Miritich at the last yep. trade deadline. If my memory serves me correctly, it was four second yep. round picks. Four second round picks. Uh, you know, which is crazy. Like Miritich isn't playing in the NBA yep. now, and and less than he didn't play in the playoffs at all, man. Right. Well, yeah. I mean, I understood how quickly it went south, but like Marvin, I think it's it's not that far fetched yeah. to say Marvin Williams is a better player than Nikola Miritich. It's it's really not. I mean, I understand he's older, he's on his last leg, but that guy, people will understand his value from a national level if he ends up playing on a playoff team. Mm-hmm. You know, in the in the twenty twenty playoffs, it's just he plays in Charlotte. He's been buried here mm-hmm. on bad teams the last past three seasons. He's a forgotten except for the scouts and the GMs that know what they're doing. His value is real. His shooting number, his shooting numbers are legit. There's just, there's just no doubt. Like he is, he is one of the best space forward three point shooters. He doesn't do much else offensively, but like he's damn good roll at, at a pick and pop or, or, you know, slipping the screen and, and, and fading out for a catch and shoot. Like, I mean, the guy can shoot. And, and he proved last season to be a pretty valuable defender. I don't know what his like defensive advanced numbers say, but he was clearly like the 
you know, Charlotte's like once Zeller went down, like he was their best front court defender, you know, out of the fours and fives at least. Um, and he talks a lot defensively, which is a value thing as well. Right. I think he has a lot of intangibles like that, yeah. Brian, that you just can't equate for with the statistics. I, th- I think he's very underrated among the Hornets community. And I think that they just look at his contract and just think that he's not living up to it, which may be the case. Mm-hmm. But this guy on a, on a contending team probably adds a whole lot more value or does add a whole lot more value than on a team like the Hornets. These last two questions are more focused about you know next season and about improving and things like that. So the first question says, I would like for you guys to talk about our defense for next year. We were not good last year. We got to improve a lot, especially as a system. Will James Borrego find out how? Yeah, the Hornets definitely were a bottom 10 team in, in, in defense and something that will have to get fixed. But I think, you know, as a system, it, it only goes as far as the personnel. I think the Hornets definitely have some subpar defenders on this team, defenders that are still young and learning like Monk and, and Bridges and Bacon and, and Hernan Gomez. So, yeah, I think the system needs to get better, but also the personnel is, is not the greatest either. I think a trend that we've been seeing in recent seasons with Charlotte is giving up a ton of three-pointers and also just not defending the three-point line in general. Teams have shot the ball very well from behind the arc against us probably in the past three or four years. It just seems like that's been a trend. I think a lot of that stems from the perimeter defense. And again, looking at our team, we don't really have a lot of good perimeter defenders. Uh, We're constantly in in scramble mode. So, yeah, I think as a system, it needs to get better. But also personnel is lacking. I I guess potentially we could play a little bit more zone, but that's kind of a a gimmick defense that can really only be used so often. So, Brian, what are your thoughts on on the defense and in terms of trying to get better or do you think the personnel is just too lacking yeah i mean they just well first off it would help if cody zeller could play a full season right like if that guy could play 80 games he's a good defensive center he if that guy could play 28 minutes a game for 82 nights out of the season or close to that yeah the defense would just would inherently get at least a little bit better but they have no i mean we talked about this plenty during the season like they just had no stoppers on the perimeter you know what i mean um, just none. Nick Batum became their de facto guy. Kemba was also carrying such a hard load offensively that he became a big negative defensively. But I mean, Lamb was was subpar. You know, MKG was basically unplayable by the end of the season by Borrego standards. They lost at least another good defender. And I mean, like, yeah, they're going to be really bad defensively next season, especially if Zeller goes down. Like, they're going to be one of the worst defensive teams in the NBA. Like. You know, the other centers they have on the roster right now are Bismack Biombo and Willie Aaron and Gomez. Like these are horrendous defensive centers. Um, and if Marvin gets traded, I mean, like, forget about it too. So, and, you know, if it's going to be more playing time for guys like Malik Monk and who's a bad defender and Miles Bridges, who's certainly athletic, but he has issues defensively um, on and off ball. Like they were 22nd or 23rd in defensive efficiency last season. I imagine they'll be in that same neighborhood again, if not, you know, a little bit worse next season too. Yeah, I, I think it's in play that this team is going to be the worst defense in the NBA um, this coming <laughs> year. I mean, no, really. I mean, I, I mean, Malik Monk, Miles Bridges, those guys <laughs> they can't stay in front of a traffic cone right now. So, I, you know, and and not only that, but I, I, I did like what I saw from Dwayne Bacon in the season, uh, but. His effort level defensively during summer league was nothing short of laughable. Yes, uh, it was it was terrible. And this stuff that he's out there tweeting about, it's going to be a great year, and just watch. <laughs> and 
And then loafing in summer league when now he has a chance to be take a leadership role on a young team. Got to check, got to check your priorities at the door, my man. Uh, really bad performance defensively in summer league, which which disappoints me. It really does because he he has a big opportunity. He ended last season so good, just to act like you don't care here in summer league was was disheartening on the defensive end. I'm not talking about offense, but. Um, yeah, no, this team's gonna be terrible defense, but they're gonna switch a lot. Uh, we saw in summer league, they're trying to ice every sideline action that they can, which is, which is fine and good. It makes the game simpler for everybody behind the action. Uh, but yeah, there, there's, there's no skeleton for any kind of positive. The one thing I will say is Cody, Martin, the thing about the two second round picks the Hornets made this year, McDaniels and, and Cody Martin, they're both, they're both good defenders have, have high ceilings, as wing defenders. I love Cody Martin's effort defensively. Mm-hmm. I love it. And that's the one thing that I, you know, would give him a lot of credit for uh, in terms of being potentially an NBA player. And McDaniel's just, you know, a little sloppy with his footwork so far, but his length and his, and his athleticism and his lateral quickness is, is undeniable. So he has the, he has a very high defensive upside. Um, so that's that's what I think this – I'm imagining and, and guessing the front office really wanted to do in them with these second-round picks is get some defensive wings into the yeah. pipeline. Because they don't and, have – And I, mean, I think I – we didn't get to see P.J. Washington play in summer league. And this is a guy that – you know, go watch some tape on him or, or pull up the, the podcast where we talked about him leading up to the draft. Like Washington, you know, he's not a stopper, but like – Man, he is an alert help defender too, right? A guard, guy that can switch guard a couple positions is a guy that's that is looking to to help to fulfill help responsibilities. is is very eager, willing, and capable to switch. And, and so perhaps you know he helps a little bit. My main thing would be finding ways to establish better habits for Bridges and making sure PJ Washington is obviously healthy, but but also developing good habits too. And perhaps that's the value of having a guy like Marvin Williams around uh, to, to help teach those guys. But for other guys like, you know, Bacon, Monk, I mean, I don't know how much they're, they're a part of the future here. You know, we'll, we'll find out soon enough, I guess. But, like, just establishing better habits, just because the team stinks and because you're bad defensively doesn't mean you can't try to do the right things. And so that would be my hope uh, for the Hornets heading into the season. All right, last question, and we can kind of go fairly quick on this. It's a, it's not really a question. It just says, Monk at shooting guard. Discuss, I guess. <laughs> Does he mean starting, or I'm not really sure what the, exactly what he's insinuating here because I think his natural position is the shooting guard position, even though his build is more of a point guard. Uh, and he does have some, you know, passing in him as well. But I, I consider him a, a shooting guard just because he's not going to mm-hmm. orchestrate an offensive the offensive uh, sets and stuff like that. So I guess it's semantics. He's probably going to have to play with the taller and more capable defender at the point guard position. Mm-hmm. Uh, but like I mentioned in the previous question, maybe maybe this is where zone comes into play. When he's out there, you guys, they just play zone a whole lot more. Yeah, I guess, what are your thoughts at Monk at shooting guard? Maybe he means starting. I'm not, I'm not really sure what he means by this. Yeah, if the question is starting, um, that's going to be a battle for that starting yeah. shooting guard position between Bacon and Monk. Yeah. It'll be fun to watch in training camp. But yeah, in terms of is that his position, I don't know what other, other position he's playing. I can tell you what he can't play as point guard. So. <laughs> Um, I, I, I'm gonna I'm gonna think shooting guard needs to be his position. Yeah, yeah I mean I don't look uh, for right now. Monk is such a question mark for a variety of things, but positionally we know where he's at. Like he, he's a shooting guard. I would love to know you know what what this guy's up to this summer in terms of working out what he's what he's working on. But I, unless I missed it, I haven't seen anything from him or, or his camp. 
um, you know, since, you know, he always got moved to the deadline and next season will be a big year for him. Uh, I think from an effort level and from a develop developmental standpoint, I mean, we've discussed his issues, um, as much as possible, but stuff to keep an eye on. Like he's been very bad in the pick and roll under 0.69 points per possession as a pick and roll ball handler over 21% usage rate last season. His shooting off the dribble has been bad and his shot selection has been bad. Um, 29% shooting off the dribble in the half court, 35% effective shooting. But, hey, man, he can catch and shoot, uh, not at an amazing level, but high 30s. So um, I'm sure he'll get up plenty of shots next season and uh, get ready to watch some uh, t- some some brutal offensive basketball when it's Terry Rozier and Malik Monk um, fighting for touches next season. Yeah, that, that's a different kind of scary, yeah. scary Terry <laughs> and Malik Monk there. So thanks again for tuning in to another episode of BuzzBeat. Oh, also, if you're not following us on Twitter, you might not know this, but we've partnered with B-Ball Index, which is a great resource. They have tons of interactive spreadsheets, just a lot, almost too much. You know, it's overwhelming with all the stats and stuff they have over there. Very smart people. Um, so if you go to bball-index.com and if you want to use their data and tools package, you can get a discount for the first month by using code BUZZBEAT. And it's a 15% discount on your first month and you get access to all their spreadsheets. It's probably close to, to 20 of them. I don't know off the top of my head, but there's a lot of them. And I think moving forward, what they're going to try to do is actually put them on the website so that you're not just, uh, you know, you don't, you don't just have access to them in Google Drive, but you also have access to them on the website. So for Brian and for Spencer, thanks again for tuning in. I'm Richie. Go Hornets. This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, click Granger.com, or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.